Welcome everyone back to the Brocast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you today? I'm really, I'm really well, Dave. I'm good. I feel good. I feel great. Yeah. You know, you kind of stunned me though. I looked at your Facebook photo. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. 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 And I went, wow, childhood has really hit Dave hard. Yeah. I mean, child, child, uh, parenting. Yeah. Yeah. I I look like I'm in my, uh, what would you say, late 60s? um, Today, everyone looks younger than they used to look. Like, you know, if you're 60, you look 50 now, comparatively. So that, I'd say you were 70. Yeah. In that photo. Yeah. So I used the um, Russian you hacking look, you app. You looked old, dude. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. I used the Russian hacking app, um, the one that I sold all of my, um, you know, livelihood to Russia so that they would age up my photo. Uh, it's called yeah, FaceApp. Yeah, so now they, now they have your whole face and the facial recognition wherever you go. They know what you're doing. And, but yeah, I want to be honest good. with you. It was totally worth it. Um, okay. If you go into the comments, there's a photo of me where I look – 105% like my father. Like, dead ringer, my dad. It's incredible. Wow. It's really good. I mean, it, for, a, for a service that's going to steal my entire identity, it's actually really good at what it does. I mean, we're not joking. That's what their intention for this was. Well, whatever. Right? I mean, it's no different from Facebook. I mean, it's just, it's a Russian company versus an American company, but it's the same thing. I'd much rather have an American company, like, steal all my stuff and corrupt our civilization than Russia, Dave. I don't give two craps who's impersonating me in Russia. Who cares? Somebody impersonating me here would be a bigger issue. Okay. Yeah, I I maybe see that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll give it all up to Russia, then. Okay. Good idea. We are a sports podcast. (laughs) <laughs> talking about UCLA athletics. Um, but you'll forgive us for wanting to avoid the subject to start this show. Uh, eh. No, now, Dave, come on now. That's well, a little negative, Dave. Well, Tracy, um, we've got to talk about... I, okay, guys, I know we said a couple weeks ago we were doing a deep dive on recruiting, and they were like, we don't want to talk about recruiting again. Who said that? coming up. I think I might have said it. Okay, um, it- as long as it's you're you're hearing the voices in your own mind, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but but we kind of have to because something very bad happened yesterday in UCLA's recruiting world that kind of changes the complexion of what we were even expecting. And if you've been listening along, you know I don't expect it to be good. Uh, but this was somehow even worse. Uh, UCLA lost uh, JC offensive tackle prospect Killian Zierer. Uh, to Auburn, and this was a guy that pretty much everybody was expecting to to uh, eventually sign with UCLA. Um, so him making that decision kind of out of the blue yesterday really throws offensive line recruiting and you know even more the the general complexion of UCLA recruiting for a loop at this point. Yes, it did. Yes. Um, it, you could tell it was such a big, I mean, I don't usually do a story. Very rarely do we publish a story that, um, about a guy going elsewhere. And yeah. we did it yesterday and it got like, uh, it was ridiculous. It was like 12,000 views on that story. Yeah. That means everyone was very much interested. I think a couple of months, uh, six months ago I did it and, and the story of some recruit going someplace else got about 200 views. 
So you can see the level of interest there. Dave, one other thing, I, I kind of just want to keep sidetracking just because it seems fun. Um, have you noticed on the forum that people will uh, say they're quoting you and it's something kind of harsh a little and they say Dave said this and I don't personally ever remember you saying a lot of the things. Have you noticed that? Yes. You're, yeah. you're being attributed like to have said so much stuff. Well, I think it's, I think it's, um, I get it from both ends, right? Cause I'm probably the crankier one of the two. What of did us. you just say? Okay. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> I get it from both ends. <laughs> I get, okay. I get, I'm getting, I'm getting, um, you know, uh, message board Eiffel towered here, um, from both ends, Tracy. Okay. Uh, so I know how that feels, Dave. I get it. I understand. Um, so the, the, cause I get it from the crankier people who, who aren't really paying attention. They'll, they'll say I, I did, I said something much stronger than what I said. And then I'll get the, like, you know, the raw, raw types who, also think I said something much crankier than what I said to kind of justify, you know, being, being opposed to whatever it was I said. Um, so it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I enjoy the it. Best, the, my best experience was that, with that, I think it was with New Heisel. I wrote something that I thought was completely balanced and fair. I remember private messages. I got like five pri private messages from people saying, Wow, Tracy, you just went overboard. That was so unnecessarily harsh. Uh, that's just negativity all. And I got the, the equal amount. It was like five or six of private messages saying, Tracy, I'm so tired of your cheerleading and <laughs> and just uh, pumping up, you know, sunshine pumping uh, the program. I mean, for the same exact article. Yeah. Yeah. I should have published that. I should have published all the responses. So yeah, that's I mean the thing you gotta keep in get. mind is that we're all a little bit psychologically damaged, right? Because we're paying this much attention to Speak something that's completely irrelevant. Like we're paying attention to sports. Who cares? So all fans are psychologically the ones who are damaged. really into it, yeah. And I'm including us among that. That's fine. Okay, good. Like good. we're all we're all in the same boat together. We're all, you know, rowing along in our own individual directions and going nowhere. Um, but it's just, everyone has this heightened thing. Like you can never be like, even with the people you agree with, unless you agree with them in like the perfectly exact right way, they're still going to argue with you. And it's just, it is what it is. It's a, that's why I like us, Dave. I think we seriously, how long have you been working for bro? It's been like 10, 12 years. Uh, I think 2011 is when I started up again, but probably consecutive, probably oh, consecutively okay. eight. But okay. overall, <laughs> seems longer. <laughs> it does. It does. But um, I think we agree in a surprising amount of things. Yeah. In in and not just sports in like life and everything. Surprising, surprising amount. I it's, think it's true. It's true. Yeah. For two people of complete different generations. Yeah. 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 It's uh... if you ever want to leave your wife, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, except I don't like that photo of you, man. That was that well. Now was... we're of the same generation, Tracy. Uh, no, you were too old for me. In that photo. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Everyone asked me why I didn't do that. I said, "Why would I do that? I'm already old." Yeah, yeah. Uh, do you have one that I, I was going to do? The one that that 
what it it uh, reversed you, right? Yeah, you can do the youth one. All it does all it does is smooth you, like it smooths out your wrinkles. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so also, what were we you can talking also turn about? into a woman. Yeah. Yeah. No, I. Just saying. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I have no desire to really do that. I get it. All right, should we talk about UCLA offensive line recruiting and how terrible it is now? Yes, and the reason I thought this was so significant that this was a big thing is, it, like you said, everyone was a, you know, when they lost on other guys, lost out on other guys who committed elsewhere. The refrain was, well, you know what? They still have, you know, Killian Zier. You know, they've got him. You know, he that looks really solid. Like they're going to get a commitment out of him. So now you can't say that, and it's. It's significant on a lot of levels. Uh, not only was he on offensive tackle, I mean, just from not only in the standpoint that UCLA was leading for him, uh, from what I've heard, even Auburn was surprised. Um, everyone close to that recruitment was was very, very surprised. And I would expect, and I'm pretty certain that UCLA was surprised. So, but beyond that, he was a tackle. He was a JC tackle who would have come in and had you know, a very good chance of immediately contributing compared to a true freshman who would come in in 2020. So uh, that, that leaves, I mean, just to review, <laughs> um, uh, UCLA's missed on 11 offensive line prospects so far. It That's a lot by July. <laughs> just to also review, they don't have any commitments as of yet. Um, it now has eight offers out to offensive linemen and just three tackle prospects. And if UCLA is taking five offensive linemen and they have a lot of scholarships to give to the class of 2020 in general. So, you know, if another really good player, to, you had five, another guy wanted to commit, you would take six. Absolutely. Um, I'd say the only tackle prospect they have a, a really good chance with at this point is Jose Gonzalez that I had heard it was between UCLA and Minnesota, but they are so far early, very early in his recruitment. If any power fives from the Southeast get involved, that, that could go the other way significantly. So 11 offensive line prospects they've missed on. They've got eight out to uh, linemen right now and probably only leading for one tackle um, while they need at least five and probably four tackles. Now, it probably looks like they're going to get Bruno Fina. I probably shouldn't even say that. No, I would make no predictions at this point after uh, them, you know, screwing up every single one of these recruitments. Well, here's my theory. This is the theory I'm leading into. So uh, you need five offensive linemen, probably at least four tackles. You need uh, five to definitely play. So I hope they get end up with five <laughs> on the roster. Okay, there we go. Um, at this point... I mean, what are you looking for? You're looking for, you know, well, offensive line recruiting to take a major upswing when they win this season. Well, okay. That's kind of a prop. Uh, you know, what are the odds on that in Vegas? But we've been into that. That's well, a prop. And, and that's a bet. And also, that's more, I mean, sure, it'll, it'll help this class a little bit, but that's more for 2021. Like, that helps to boost your recruiting more for the second cycle after that. Oh, so, I don't know. I think, I think everyone... Uh, I think if UCLA got, let's say, nine wins, I think there would be guys, not necessarily offensive linemen, but 2020 recruits who they will immediately get seriously involved with. I think that it turns right then. I, I, I agree with the next cycle, too, that it has that kind of 
longer impact, but I think it has immediate impact. Um, it does depend, so, however, on them actually continuing to recruit during the season. Just yeah, that's that's key. So then they, at this point, they need to fill five slots. They need to fill at least four, get four offensive tackles. We've heard so much about how great they are at evaluating, projecting guys. I mean, you know, three of the first ten offensive linemen taken in the 2019 NFL draft were former high school tight ends. So I I want to see what I think UCLA should do is find a developmental offensive tackle that projects to being good down the line that they've out-evaluated everyone for, you know, that he's not going to come in and immediately play. I mean, find that find Connor McDermott. Remember when we saw Connor McDermott came in, he was 6'8 and 225 pounds. Yep. At UCLA. I don't think he was ready to play for the first three seasons he was there. Maybe his redshirt sophomore year. Is that redshirt when he finally sophomore was when he was uh, when he looked good. And I think he was still still two seventy five at yeah. that point. So let's find them. They should go out and find the next Connor McDermott, and they should probably do it now before the guy kind of blows up in his senior year, um, and other people get on him. They they you know hang their hat on being great evaluators that with the measurables and the analytics. So I think they should go out on a, a take a little bit of a flyer on one of those type of guys at this point. Um, More than I'm going to hell. Yeah. I'm going to publish a story about maybe some guys along those lines who are, are that type of guy. Uh, just to touch on it. There's a guy named Nick Sani. Uh, Modesto Central Catholic. Uh, he came to the opening. Tight, he's a tight end. I think he's only he's, but he's primarily a blocking tight end uh, uh, in an op, in an option offense. So he, he knows how to block. Um, he's six six two fifty. He ran a four nine forty, a four five nine shuttle. He's that would be really good athleticism for an offensive lineman. Six 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 two forty five two fifty. That's a guy who, in three years, I mean, that's bigger, that's more filled out than than Connor McDermott, and and comparable athleticism. Uh, has great grades. Has uh, offers from Yale and Dartmouth. No Power Five. I think he just got one an offer from UC Davis in Nevada. Uh, convince just literally go out to him or someone else of of their choice and say, this offer is contingent on you committing before the season right now. And take one of these guys, or two, but at least take one, I think, just to get them on the books. Yeah. That's, that's my pitch. Uh, yes. Um, this, I mean, uh, all of the above. Um, they should... Uh, Yes, they need to take as many bodies as they can. And offensive line, it's one of those positions that you're projecting so far, especially if it's not like a, you know, one of these four or five star guys who, you know, maybe can come in and start as a true freshman. You're projecting so far in advance that there's a lot of wiggle room with the evaluation. Like, there's a reason tight end, three tight ends out of the top 10, three of them were tight ends out of the top 10 offensive linemen drafted, uh, were tight ends in high school. Um, also, a, num- a greater percentage of them are unranked um, in high school, even if yeah. they didn't start as a tight end. Um, yeah. It's it's 
it's much more difficult to project because the body changes so much from when you're, you know, first getting evaluated as a 16 year old or whatever to when you're 22. Um, so yeah. And they shouldn't take five. They should take like seven. I mean, this is a class um, we went through it with our roster management stories back in early spring, but yeah, five is the minimum, like the absolute minimum they should take this class. But given their offensive line issues, given the fact that we have to project sight unseen, probably one of the guys who's on the roster this year, at least, probably won't be on it next year from not graduating, but from attrition. At least one um, right. among the offensive line. So, that's the way it works. At least one. I think that's At least one. And that's, and that's just attrition. It could, there could be other injuries. There could be concussions. Like, it's, a, it's a heavily injured position. So you need to over-recruit it. Um, and in the position they're in, so you need to over-recruit it every year. Like if you wanted to take five or six every single year, that's fine. Um, but this year in particular, with how bad the depth situation is, you need to take seven or eight. Um, and they're in position right now where they have no commitments. 11 guys have said no. And we're thinking they're good for maybe one more for sure, not even for sure right now, but we'd say probably what seventy five percent certainty. Bruno Fina, um, and then Jose Gonzalez is still really early, so it's hard to say. Um, but I mean, yeah, take a flyer on one guy. I would take a flyer on three guys, um, three complete unknowns, and then recruit your butts off. Keep a couple of spots open in case guys want to switch at the end. But you need bodies, like you need to fill this class. And at this point, I don't think they can be that picky. Um, you're already really deep in the cycle. Watch the senior seasons for a lot of these guys. See who develops. See who looks good. But they got to start filling some spots now. Um, and I would, here's the I, other. I would take yeah, some major ahead, flyers on a number of guys. Here's the other thing to think about, and we might not see this immediately, like in fall camp. But like we've been saying for a while, I, I think there might be some guys that are currently on the roster that might end up offensive tackles. And funny. Uh, those would be tight ends. Um, I think Michael Martinez, the incoming tight end, might be a guy UCLA is holding in its pocket. You know, he's already he's already enrolled in summer school, and they got to be looking at him and saying, "Yeah, that's an offensive tackle." <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, maybe not. I think they're going to give him every chance. They, you know, they know, you know, he's not going to have an impact this year <laughs> on the offensive line. Let him take a shot at at tight end. But, I mean, he's 6'6 six, six and 250, and your body only goes one way. And he's got kind of a baby face. He's got, I think, the biggest feet I've ever seen on anyone of any recruit, any football recruit, anyway. Um, I think he ends up on offensive tackle. Perhaps that might be why we don't necessarily see as much urgency, like with those numbers I was saying, where they need five guys and there's only – offers out to eight <laughs> right now that those numbers don't work. And then a guy like uh, the walk on now getting back to unranked, the walk on tight end, uh, Michael Churich. Uh, I saw him at a couple of, uh, at a couple of events. It was, I think it was the opening last year, not this last summer. I didn't really know who he was. And as soon as I saw him running a couple of routes, I said, wow, that guy would make a pretty nice offensive tackle. Um, he ended up committed to UCLA as a tight end. Um, 
he seems very much like he would be. Now that's a walk on, admitted, but even as you said, uh, unranked t- high school tight ends end up NFL offensive tackles. Um, so uh, I, I guess I'm trying to rationalize because I I literally don't get those numbers. I don't get how this adds up. I mean, just to say it once again, <laughs> um, they just don't have their, they have to be thinking something else. I mean, they have eight offers out to offensive linemen at this point and just three offensive tackle when, prospects. When has their, okay, so in the year and a half, nearly two years of Chip Kelly uh, being at UCLA, I guess besides that rushed class at the beginning, when has their thinking been correct on roster management? Uh, wait, I didn't get the first part of that. Are you saying Chip Kelly's Chip Kelly's program? When have they been correct? When have they been correct on roster management, like managing their numbers and figuring things out and knowing how many spots to offer and all that kind of stuff? Because it, it's not a strong suit for them. I, 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 would I say think assuming they have a recruiting is about it. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly. Um, I, they haven't been good about this. There's a reason why they had to take a bunch of dudes after February just to kind of get to, what, 73, 74 for this coming season, scholarship yeah. players. Um, they, they, didn't, they did not nail roster management. So I would, I would say I, I'm more inclined to believe that they're mismanaging it again because that's the information we have to go on. Um, that's and, the, and roster management also is dependent on being able to self-scout and know how but first off, it's a lot. It's knowing your own roster, being able to project your own roster, being able to know if someone's potentially going to transfer, and then knowing how you're doing with the present recruiting cycle, specifically each recruit. I mean, and not fooling yourself. And I've seen even 25-year veteran coaches who still delude themselves on how they're doing on recruits, much less guys who haven't been doing this very long. And so just to go over this, these are the guys they've offered. Andrew Gentry, I don't, you see, he does not list UCLA anymore. Jalen Jeffers, I don't think he lists UCLA. If he does, not much. I think he's heavily leading to Oregon. Bruno Fina, Jose Gonzalez, um, Garen Hatchett, who is leaning to Washington. He hasn't committed, I don't think. TJ Bass, who we've said wants to stay in the Northwest, probably Oregon or Washington State. Sola Toa Moiai from Hawaii, who's still wide open. Um, it, it might take a while on him. And Levi Rogers. So Levi Rogers, Moiai, uh, Fina, and Gonzalez. Is that four? Yeah. yeah. That's four guys that they have a chance with. If you need to fill five spots you need to offer you need to be actively recu- recruiting at least 15 guys yeah. at least so that's why i mean i got to suspect i know you're saying mismanage it but this is gross mismanagement <laughs> there's got to be another explanation i got to feel that they're thinking there's some tackles already on the already on the roster yeah, so. but I mean, like, if you do the count, even if you do the count for next year, um, so Boss Tagalo drops off, he's the only one who graduates, so that's good, but, so true scholarship guys, so I'm not counting Marazzo, I'm not counting Gramlick, I'm not counting Cochran, 
there's going to be 10 guys. Um, what are, what's our, our magic number, like 18? Well, minimum 15. Minimum 15, but you, I would love to have 18 on the roster, um, scholarship guys. Um, a, a, a full roster can hold 18 scholarship offensive linemen with ease. Um, but here's, here's the other thing, too, um, <laughs> to, to emphasize your point. Uh, there are guys who are real question marks and we don't know can even, usually when you're saying 15 to 18 beyond the projected starters or the starters of that year, there are three to four younger guys who, you know, were elite prospects. So you say, Oh, well they'll plug in. Oh yeah. There's four guys at least in that 10 who we have no idea about. I mean, John Gaines, we have no idea about Bo Taylor, Uh, Josh Carlin, Baraka Beckett. Beckett. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to pencil in Duke Clemens because we've heard so much good and we've seen him and he's good. But man, yep. And and think about it this way: Alec Anderson barely played last year, and we're penciling him in as a starter and as a sure thing, more or less, that he's going to be a contributor. And he might not be good. Like we haven't seen him like really play extensive game action. Uh, and so we're not doing this to try to undercut what we've already said about this upcoming season. Why we're saying this is to try to emphasize that UCLA needs to really recruit offensive linemen for 2020. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the thing is, like, and again, we're not undercutting because the starting group this year, I think, is good. And the starting group next year with only Tagaloa falling off and then somebody else comes in at center is probably pretty good. Um, but that's if absolutely nobody gets hurt, if absolutely nobody goes down. Um, but man, and the thing is like, you really, they have to do whatever they can at this point to bring in some bodies, but they needed to nail offensive line recruiting with this class. Um, they needed guys who could come in and be more or less immediate impact players. And maybe it still happens at this point, but not like great. the guy I don't get, the prospect I don't get why they have an offer. There's a guy. So Butte College is where their offering TJ Bass is. Um, I thought they were recruiting TJ Bass as a tackle. I thought it was even an interior guy, but let's just say he's a tackle. There are other tackles, a guy named Brendan Coffey, who's the number two ranked JC tackle in the country behind that guy named Killian Zero. Yeah. <laughs> um I would not understand. You've already been to Butte College a bunch of times. I know they, they've they recruited Brendan Coffey because they've been there because of TJ Bass. Brendan Coffey's 6'7", 275 pounds. He's legit JC guy who could come in and compete in 2020. I, I mean, TJ Bass I know wants to stay in the Northwest, but we heard Brendan Coffey was a guy who you know is open to anywhere. He's looking at ASU pretty seriously. Uh Auburn was one of the schools. He's off, offered from Auburn, and now that they got zero, and I think that's their third, Auburn's third offensive tackle commitment. I mean, why wouldn't they have even gotten in on Brendan Coffey early? I, I, you offer Brendan Coffey two months ago, but he's not going to commit. You know, he's he's a JC guy. He's got offers from Auburn, Oregon, ASU. He's going to look around. I This is the one now, like I thought, this is – this is a blown opportunity. If you offer him now, maybe you can come back in his recruitment, but you're way behind. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So I don't know. We could we could talk about this offensive line recruiting, and I, I generally really respect offensive line coach Justin Fry. I thought he did a very good job last year. He's a great coach with the offensive line. I thought he actually, you know, he had a he missed on. Salatoa Lamea, can't remember his exact yeah, name. Salatoa Maya or Lamea. Yeah. Lamea. Um, but generally did a good, I mean, he got Sean Ryan. Um, so uh, did one of the better recruiting jobs on on the staff last year. So this is a little disappointing. I, I mean, it's always like you get someone like Sean Ryan who is a complete unique kid. And you're always afraid that that's going to validate what they were doing in recruiting before rather than realizing, oh, well, we got lucky on that one. <laughs> yeah, And maybe, th- maybe that's happening here. Uh, it should have been enough to see how the rest of that class went to know they got lucky on that one. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's enough. That's enough on um, recruiting. We're going to put that in its box again until it acts up, and then we'll have to talk about it again. So don't act up <laughs> recruiting. Um, all right, uh, Pac-12 Media Day is tomorrow. Um, it is. A single day, as opposed to every other league that has multiple days. Uh, and, they, and they changed it, too. You, remember, they used to give every coach in every program, which consists of one coach and two players, they would give them 15 minutes. Yeah. And it would take from, what, after the commissioner spoke, 9 to 12 Something and like you that. have lunch, then you get a little time having lunch with, you know, w- with the coach, trying to talk to him as he's, you know, shoving pasta in his mouth. Yeah, we always um, love to videotape him at that moment. I love doing that. The, one of the best is, remember when we first, it wasn't at Pac-12 Mini Day, but we had an interview with Mora, and he had a plate full of tacos during his lunch, and he scarfed those tacos, like, literally in about 22 seconds. He couldn't. I don't think he could stand that we were filming him while he was eating. <laughs> uh, you know what was really good about Ben Hallen never would eat on camera. He would sit there and starve before he'd put food in in his mouth. Anyway, <laughs> so they've now given every program a half an hour. So the day is now twice as long. It goes from eight. Uh, I don't know something like five o'clock. <laughs> Half an hour of sitting there with Jonathan Smith. That's going to be sweet. I I think why they're... You know, they asked us to fill out a survey last year about things we would change, and this wasn't it for me, but maybe other people... You know, we usually have two people there from Bro, so we... They do the coach interview and the two players coach... The two player interviews all at the same time. So maybe people complain that once they finish the coach interview, they couldn't get over to the players. Even though they usually hung out for another five or ten minutes, or you could get them at lunch, maybe that was a complaint because they now, you know, ballooned it up to a half an hour. I mean, I seriously don't know what those those players are going to just sit at that desk for probably twenty minutes just sitting there. Um, but that's it. So it is a it is not a sprint. It is a marathon tomorrow. That sounds and no terrible. matter what, it always even if we're having good weather that day always, always is like 94 degrees. Yeah. yeah. So that will be interesting tomorrow because uh, there, there's going to get a lot of opportunity. I don't think if 
I thought there'd be more opportunity to talk to these guys, but actually in the long run, if, if Chip thinks he's giving a half an hour up on the podium and lunches before the Pac-12 South, so it's the Pac-12 North lunch, Pac-12 South, where it used to be all the teams before lunch, and then you'd get them munching on salad where you're trying to interview them. There's no way Chip's coming to lunch. No, he'll leave. Yeah. So we don't get that. So this is not really done really well. But, you know. That's the Pac-12 for you. I was going to say, you you don't have any opinion on how well the Pac-12 no. like, actually executes things, right? No, they're, they're, a, they're a clown show. Um, anyway, so you are the Pac- – you do that other podcast mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. shall re- remain nameless. But mm-hmm. it's all about the Pac-12, and you know everything. I know everything, the whole thing. So let's talk about, like, you know, UCLA within the Pac-12. Okay. Dave. All right. So um, what's going to come out tomorrow is that Utah is almost certainly going to be the pick in the South um, with pretty good reason. I mean, they return a ton. Um, that defense is going to be nasty. Uh, they return most of their defensive line. But after that in the South, it is a complete, just, it's completely wide open. Um UCLA could be in the mix for that number two. I think it'll be USC just because um, a couple of things. One, they're still probably the most pure talented team in the league. And number two, um, there is a pervasive, um, almost subconscious bias in Southern California media especially, but just West media in general that USC should be good every year, even though they're rarely good anymore these days. Um, and it's not... It's not the bias that everyone thinks it is, where it's like there's like this cabal of people who are running conspiracy. It's it's dumber than that. It's just people who don't really follow everything, and they're just like, oh, USC, they're pretty good. So um, USC will probably be picked second, and then I think it, it it's kind of just depend on the vagaries of who voted. But I think UCLA will probably be third or fourth, mixed with the Arizona schools, um, and then Colorado bringing up the rear in the South. Um, no one ever goes – those preseason polls never – it's always an exercise in pure safe choices. Yeah, it's always, it's always kind of dumb. It's a good overview of what the consensus is, and consensus isn't to be discounted. I think it can be reflective of um, truth in a lot of ways. Um, but, yeah, I mean, preseason – things in general are bad, even if they're numbers based and just the weird positive opinions of people. It's, I mean, it's, it's based on who they read a feature on, you know? Um, so it'll be, all that stuff is just kind of a fun thing to like write about and post on bro and, and then bitch about. But I mean, in the, Utah is probably the best team in the South. Um, they do have some tough bits of their schedule that could make their record a little bit worse than it should be. Um, but they're probably going to win the South um, unless the wheels really come off for them like they have in you know, years past. And just a note of recruiting. Utah had a good season last year. They're going into this you know, favored in the Pac-12 South. They are dead last in 2020 recruiting. I don't uh, – Dave, how does Utah do this? They just get some older uh, – Guys who've been on their Mormon missions who have come back. I, I mean, there's definitely an element of that, not as much as BYU. Um, yeah. They also recruit JC. Well, this is a particularly weird class. They're usually not this slow. Um, I don't know what the deal is um, with this particular class, 
but it's not a. And they haven't talent. had an off season where they got as much hype as this either. No, yeah, it's 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 interesting that they haven't recruited well off of last year, um, and I wonder if there's maybe some internal dynamic that's weird. Maybe an assistant left who was a dynamic recruiter. It's hard to know. Um, By the way, dead last in the Pac-12, and guess who's eleventh? UCLA, baby. But recruiting but, like Utah. But also, let me see, one, two, three, four, but fifth in terms of ranking, average ranking per player committed. Well, that's great. So they'll sign they'll, so they'll sign 10 guys, but they'll be really good. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's uh, – <laughs> Utah also does the thing where they get um, – they recruit like the Polynesian kids really well, um, and they don't – a lot of those guys just aren't very highly ranked for whatever reason. And then they turn out to be studs. Um, and Utah does a pretty good job recruiting that group. Um, but they, they kind of recruit non-traditionally. They bring in a lot of JCs. They do some transfers. Um, it's easy to get guys into school. And, uh, and then they also get the mission thing going on. Mission thing going on. Okay, so Utah. Do you generally agree? I mean, is there a possibility that Utah might be a little overrated? Or do you, do you, I think yeah. they're going to be really good. That defense is really, really good. Um, they return their quarterback. They return their running back. Uh, offensive line is going to be a question mark. They don't return a ton there. Um, but most of their skill spots, um, all that stuff on offense is returning. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with Utah, the thing is the depth is always a little bit thin. Um, I liked their backup quarterback last year. I think his name was Shipley. Um, but – it's hard to know, you know, if he's going to be able to pull out a whole season if, if uh, Tyler Huntley went down. Uh, their running back got hurt last year. Who knows if he's going to be the same guy this year. So there's a little bit of thinness to Utah that um, you wouldn't normally see in a, in a division favorite, uh, just nature of their recruiting style and, and how they develop guys. Um, but no, they'd be my pick. Um, and then the North... There's going to be a lot of hype for Oregon. I wouldn't be shocked if they're picked in the North. I'd be, I would be a little bit surprised if they actually end up winning the North. I'm not sold on Cristobal as a head coach. Um, I think it'll probably be Washington again. And my big pick in this in the North is that Stanford's not going to be good this year. This is like really this is really interesting because usually, you know, since I was however old, I would go out and get the Athlon Sports preseason magazine. Just love that thing, but. If I'd say as long as I've actually been doing this job now, I'd always have I'd always have a problem with their projections for the season. I just I didn't agree with it. I said, "Wow, did did they <laughs> did they really actually look at the teams before they made these predictions?" This year, though, I find them stunningly. I agree with most of it. Like they have Stanford at at fourth. Yeah, yeah. and I. The more you keep repeating it, the more research I keep doing on Stanford, I'm I'm completely coming around to what you're saying. Yeah, which means UCLA could get a win at Stanford. Don't this year. say it. Look what you did. Why not? Look what you Why did. Not? Look what you did. So uh, let me ask you this: Should I go to that game? I could. Uh, no. Now you're really tempting fate. You shouldn't even be talking about this right now. And you know why? A hotel room in Palo Alto. I looked is like five hundred dollars a night. For anything that isn't like one of those little trashy motels. That's great. It's great. We had some fun there at Sanford, didn't we, though? We did, outside of the football game. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the game was 
Yeah, we had fun in the, in Palo Alto. They had some good that bars. Our good. bar is gone. That yeah, bar we like. That yeah. was. What was the name of that bar, Dave? I don't know. Damn, you're losing it. You're you're losing your memory. I don't anyway, know if I ever had that one. What's that? I don't know if I ever had that bar name in my memory. <laughs> so the South. You tell me. You say Utah, but then you said maybe SC. I so, I think. I think it's gonna. Okay. I think that's gonna be the pick. I think the the media are going to pick USC second in the South. Oh, I, I see what you're doing. I, yes. I, I don't think they will be second. I think it's. I think there's a decent chance it's UCLA. Um, I, I do too. Yeah, I do too. Um, a couple of safely behind Utah, like a couple of games behind them. I think Utah. I've got them pegged at like ten and two this year, um, and UCLA is something more like seven and five. Um, but. UCLA has has a chance to make a run in conference. Like I, it wouldn't be completely out of the question for them to go. Gosh, I don't know, six and three in conference. Um, that's that, that's there and that's available for them. But um, they've, you know, uh, they're going to have to hope that they pick up more or less right where they left off offensively and uh, make some improvements defensively, as we talked about a couple weeks ago. But it's out there. And look, if Utah is, I think, the prohibitive favorite in the South. I, I do think that's a, a fair assessment. But again, there are a couple of injuries or that offensive line really, really struggling away from not being the prohibitive favorite. Um, it's not things you would project, but it's certainly possible. And then the South really is wide open. Um, and a not great but fine UCLA team could sneak into it. Um, it's not, that's totally not out of the question. Um, you know, I think it's been a. I think you. I think a six and three team has won the has won the division a few times. I think. I think UCLA might have been one of them. I don't remember. Um, so Athlon has UCLA projecting at six and three. Yeah. So interesting. Interesting. Ahead of USC, which they have at four or five, four and five with a six six and six overall record for USC. For UCLA, a six and three conference record, seven and five overall. So that means one and two in non-conference. Yeah, that wouldn't be shocking either. Um, drop to Cincinnati and then lose to Oklahoma. That's totally doable. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, there's so, the, and that's why I say like the, there is, there is some real upside to this team. If they go six and three in conference first, that could win the conference in a particular year. Um, I think that if I'm remembering correctly, I think in Mora's first year, they won the division at six and three. Oh, um, okay. But uh, I can't and that non-conference, it's the difference between one and two and two and one is, I mean, that's that's huge. And that's why we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Winning yeah. that Cincinnati game is essential for this year being a clear good year. Um, so, yeah. In, in the in the South, I think, I think it's easier to project what USC, UCLA, and Utah are going to do rather than Arizona State and Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> Those are more wild cards to me. I could see them anywhere from four wins to seven wins. Oh, yeah. More than, more than UCLA. I, I think there's more variability and unknown with them. Arizona State, I think I, I like them a little bit better just because they have a returning intact offensive line, right? But yeah. trying to find a quarterback, and a lot is going to Jaden Daniels. Daniel. Yep. Jaden Daniels, sorry. There's so many McDaniel Daniels. Oh, I know. Um, and then Arizona, Khalil Tate. 
If he's Khalil Tate again, I mean, that's a trip-up game for a lot of teams. Utah has to go at Arizona in November 23rd. I mean, that's that'll be a tough spot um, if Khalil Tate... Shouldn't Khalil Tate be able to do what uh, Brett Hundley did in Mazzoni's offense? Uh, no. I mean, Hundley... Hunley was able to do things out of breakdowns and was willing to do things out of breakdowns that I don't think Tate was willing to run last year. Well, last year he wasn't because he was hurt, but the year before he, how many, he was... I don't know. I was hearing some stuff that he did not want to, even when he was healthy at the beginning of the year. He wanted to show off his... He wanted to show off his arm. And, you know, Hunley had a little bit of that too, but he was always, you know, there was nothing more automatic than Brett Hunley scrambling on a third down, uh, like a third and 12 um, you know, that was, that was, UCLA should have always been in third and 12. So Brett Hundley could just run for a first down. Um, so maybe Tate has come around to realizing hopefully the way he gets noticed and gets like on a Heisman list is that he's going to run for 150 yards a game. Yeah, I think he needs to, we'll see if that combination of, you know, coaches who are not, you know, Mazzoni doesn't love his quarterbacks running Tate apparently didn't want to run a whole lot last year. We'll see if they can all kind of come around to the idea that he should, Probably be running 15 times a game. So, Remember within the red zone? Yeah. <laughs> that that read option? How many times did they score on that with Brett Hundley? He's, he was so automatic. And you know what? I, I do we, – we, I should say this. We were – You're going to say it again about Mazzoni, aren't you? No, no, no. We were critical oh. of Brett Hundley when he oh, was yeah. at UCLA. Um, and, you know – I wouldn't take back any of it. Like it was like, oh, I think valid criticisms, but god damn, that guy was fun to watch. Like, yeah. and it, when you look back at the totality of what he did and all the different things, I mean, that was pretty great. I mean, as a I college we quarterback, valid, he was better than Josh Rosen. Like it was. Yeah, I, think, I think we were valid though because I think we acknowledged that he was very good, but there were a few things that kept him from being like really truly elite yeah there were and i think it was maybe like also it was a little bit more obvious because it 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 felt like a couple of those things were what were what was keeping ucla from being especially in 2013 keeping them from being elite um, because that defense was pretty damn good the offense in total was pretty damn good but his you know, struggles with some passing concepts and figuring out, you know, how to see a defense and what to do were a little bit, you know, limiting. Um, but it was it was like the little bit that kept it from reaching its pure upside. But right. the floor with Brett Hundley was so high. It was just so high. Every single season was just so good. Um, so anyway. That's so I think the other really I you know we didn't talk enough about I think Oregon and Washington State are very interesting to me too. You you touched on Oregon. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of talent. They've got some guys return. They got a lot of guys returning. They should be really good. If they're not really good, it's underachieving. If they don't get I think at least nine wins, that's underachieving given the experience and talent they have on the team right now. Oh yeah. And I, I think they there's a decent chance they end up at eight and four. Um, and, and and I'll go a little bit on a limb. If right now you said, you know, I haven't looked at the schedule. Maybe you know offhand because you're a Pac-12 guy. Where is the Washington State-Oregon game being played? That one is being played at Oregon. 
Okay, so if that were at Washington State, I would clearly straight up pick Washington State to finish higher and have a better record than Oregon. That's probably the game that gets maybe Oregon a little bit of an edge. But I am a firm believer of of the ability of Mike Leach to coach yeah. and get the most out. I would take an under-talented but Mike Leach-coached Washington State team over an over-talented but questionably coached Oregon team every day of the week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They should have won. They, sh- I mean, should they not have won? Probably the Pac-12 conference last year if it wasn't for that bizarre game in the snow. There's an argument that even with that game, I mean, obviously they have a tough matchup against Washington for whatever reason. You know, Peterson and his defensive staff just have that offense figured out. But Washington State was the best team in the league last year. Um, So what do you think about Washington? I think Washington's going to be really good. Um, You do? I think they're going to fix their... uh, I, jokes aside, I thought Jake Browning was a big issue for them. Um, just you, you know, when you're jokes aside, when you're when you're putting out like a, I don't know what would you call Jake Browning, a Wyoming level quarterback as your starting quarterback in the Pac-12, and well, Oregon State, Oregon That's State up. level, fine. Um, but when he's out there starting for you, and you know when you're surrounding him with John Ross, it looks fine. Right? Because you've got a guy who's, you know, a four three forty type guy who's a dynamite receiver. Then you take him away the next year and he comes back to earth, and then you take away Dante Pettis and he comes even further back to earth. Putting a guy like Jacob Eason, who I'll be honest, I didn't love out of high school, but he he's good. Um putting a guy like Jacob Eason in that offense, that's a different deal. I mean, he he's a guy with true high level FBS talent. Um Unlike Browning, um, really interesting though because I did see I did see them in high school, and I agree with you on Easton. But Easton was one of those guys that you just look at him and you said, "Wow, he is oozing potential." But every time you saw him in a camp, it was more potential than production. Yeah, and he's got a kind <laughs> of a lo- he had kind of a loopyish weird loopy. motion. And I think he's still that way, from what I've heard. That they're still going. Oh my God, there's so much upside there, but it's not. It hasn't translated into real on-field production. Maybe he has grown into it, um, but I think that's like. How do you compare him to Oregon's uh, quarterback? What, what do you think of Oregon's quarterback? Just in its own, you know, without even comparing him to Eason. Uh, I think he's good. I, I thought the hype was out of control. I think the hype is still last out of year or now. Uh, the hype last year and this year. I think he's good. Um, I think he's a good quarterback. Um, I think he's got a lot of talent. He's got a lot of abilities as a runner. He's got a lot of abilities as a thrower. All, all fine and good. I, 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 I'm baffled when people talk about him as like the number one pick in the draft. It doesn't. It, it's not computing for me for whatever reason. He, he, he struggles against the better defenses, and not like relatively struggles, but he really struggles against the better defenses. Um, so I don't. I don't know about Herbert as like a number one pick in the draft. I think he's probably one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the league this year, though. Okay. Yeah, I, I, had, I was in some weird twilight zone with him last year because, you know, you'd read stuff and all you hear, oh, my God, he's going to be he's so good. He's, every game I watched of Oregon, I was really disappointed in him, including the UCLA game. I yeah. mean, just wasn't impressed. I'm all, wow, 
wow, that, that was just flatly a bad throw. I mean, many times yes. I said that to myself. So, yeah, what is he, 6'6 six, six and 230? Oh, he looks the part and he's fast, he's athletic, he's got, yep. I mean, and he's got some tools, but I mean, he, you have to still be able to play. Yeah, and it's just, I don't, yeah, I don't, he's good. I mean, he's, I mean, he's not, he's not crap by any means, and, you know, he's, he's a good, very good college player. I just, the, the thing I don't buy is number one pick in the draft. I just don't, that, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So who, if you had a secret team that you're secretly rooting for um, in the Pac-12, who would it be? Um, well, historically, it was always Stanford. Um, this particular season, probably Washington State. That's okay. Mine is absolutely Oregon State. And for a few reasons is first, they're just extreme, <laughs> extreme underdogs. I don't think Smith will ever have a, a real great chance at turning that program around given where it is. But so many instances over the last, uh, during the recruiting cycle for the, you know, for a while when I, you know, Patrick and I go out there and scout a lot of kids on film to see you know, who UCLA is going to potentially, you know, recruit a lot of sleepers. A lot of times when we would find someone who, okay, that guy's got some measurables, you know, he's tall, long, runs really well, has good bursts. And then we always would come back to, wow, Oregon State's already offered him. They're good evaluators at staff. Now, whether they're recruiting that well is a different is a different thing. And I don't even know if they can coach, but I appreciate just given what my job is. I appreciate really good evaluators. And I think they're a really good evaluating staff. They've proven they're evaluating chops with me. So I'm, I'd like to see that translated on the field, like good, good evaluations lead to, you know, I know there's a lot in between like development and coaching and all that other, all that other crap, but I'd like to see it paid off like on the field. So I'm rooting for them. Okay. I mean, it's, is that okay? Is that yeah, okay? It just, it feels kind of, you know, I, I, I like rooting for underdogs too. Right. But yeah. that's just so hopeless that it's just like, eh, I don't, I don't need another hopeless football program in my life. Dave, if they get literally four wins, that would probably be – I don't know what Vegas says, but that probably is two over their Yeah, I think, they're, over I think they're at two and a half. Okay. Yeah. yeah, they get to four wins. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, if you're an Oregon State fan right now, you've got to be thinking it's a successful season if you get to four wins. No. So that's another thing I've learned is that Oregon State fans have some expectations. Yeah, I know. I just meant that's what they should do because that's how I'm feeling. Yeah, and the interesting thing with Oregon State is like – it's historically not a horrible program. Like, remember, so Mike Riley was obviously like... I know this. Mike right. Riley was good. Mike Riley was nowhere close to their best coach ever. Like, they had Tommy Prothrow, they had Lon Steiner, they had Dennis Erickson, they had DeAndros. Like, they had some guys who were actually pretty good. Um, so How did they do that? That's the thing, though. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> That's amazing if you really think about it. How did they well, do well, that? I mean, Mike Riley had, you know, he had a, a formula, and I think 
it was a slightly different league then. I think they were able to take advantage of, uh, I don't know, UCLA being a little bit down in the mid-2000s and being able to poach a little bit more of, you know, LA. Washington and Washington State were both way down. Um, so maybe Oregon State was able to kind of fill that gap. But I don't know. I, I, I thought what they needed to do was kind of go completely off the reservation, like get some triple option guy and just try to do something entirely different from the rest of the league and just see what happens. Um, Let me ask you this. Take just clean slate, take all the coaching off the table. What's the, which program, which program is it toughest to win in the pack 12 overall? Washington. It's gotta be, it's gotta be Washington state, right? Yeah. It's gotta be Washington state there. I I mean, I, 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 Recruiting I don't to Pullman want to talk is a bad different, about Pullman, but have you been there? It's a hole, and so and compare it to Corvallis. It, Corvallis, Corvallis is an hour and a half from Portland. Like it's an hour and a half from a decent city. It's you know it's in green and like it doesn't snow the way it does in Washington. Like it's you could talk yourself into that um, Tucson. You can talk yourself into that. It's a it's a big city at the very least, even if it kind of feels like a you know place where that where, is that my experience always with tucson is it seems like such a small town and it's almost a million people it's huge yeah it's like el paso yeah. that way feels yeah. so small and provincial but it's actually a huge town um yeah it feels like a place where like tumbleweeds are the only residents um but pullman is nothing and it's near nothing like to get to seattle it's like a i don't know what like a five-hour drive or yeah. flying, and it's just that. And, and the guys on our board were talking about. The, the, I always that was a great discussion. So, is anyone going to the Washington State game? Where do you stay? <laughs> well, I'm staying in Spokane. I'm staying in Coeur d'Alene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are what? Those are hour and a half away. Yeah, no, you stay in beautiful Moscow. That's the one to stay in. No, but that's why Moscow is close. But you wouldn't stay there. I, I mean. Well, there's nothing there, as there is right. nothing in Pullman. Except an airport. <laughs> well, and you don't stay in Spokane because you don't want to do that drive where you get a speeding ticket. Okay, so you don't do that. Coeur d'Alene, I don't know about the speeding, the speed traps, but I'd have to think they have them there, too, right? Yeah, but it would be fun to learn how to properly pronounce that city name, so that'd be cool. Isn't it Coeur d'Alene? Am I not saying it correctly? I'm Coeur sure you are. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, toughest place. And and here's the thing, Washington State's had some success. Yeah. I mean, uh, before Mike Leach, yeah. um, I mean, uh, our boy. That's still the one of the best stories ever. Mike Price. Mike Price. Okay. <laughs> Do you remember the specific stories of when he was hired by Alabama? Yeah, vaguely, but not. No, nothing, nothing specific. I mean, wasn't he, didn't he, I think he had been hired. He was hired and then he was staying in a hotel and he had, he had a woman who we all assume was uh, being paid to stay, who was staying in his room the whole time. Wasn't that it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. But Mike Price got it done there, right? Mike Price got it say. done there, but uh, and I, I just want to point out, Oregon State has had a better season than Washington State has ever had. Like they won a Fiesta Bowl. Like they're 
Oregon State has had some years. Uh, Washington State, they've been fine. I mean, they've had some years, but it's not been anything like what Oregon State's been able to do. So. Sorry, I was just reading a little bit about. I got to read this when we get off about Mike Price. Wow. Yeah. I forgot about it. That was a, it was a great story, really, before scandals, before you know, really, social media and you know, people were holding up their phones and taking videos of any last thing that happens. This is he did all this before that. Yeah. Anyway, so that's. Uh, I think this is going to be a very interesting a very interesting conference season because I don't really see I think Utah is probably the strongest team but as you said you know injury on the offensive line could throw that whole thing off oh, yeah. kilter and Washington will be good but you know, they've got a lot to prove. We always give them the benefit of the doubt because of their coaching. So I think it's going to be a very interesting season. I did want to talk about the results of our preseason poll on Bro that everyone mm-hmm. guessed what the 2009 football sure. record would be. 33% of the respondents said 7-5. and five. Um, 27% said eight and four, Thir- uh, about 14% said six and six. And then the next highest was nine and three. And that was almost 8%. Um, but yeah, everyone's kind of right in that seven and five, seven and five, uh, plus category right in there. Yeah, that seems right. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. So everyone's pretty smart. Everyone is brilliant. That's the thing is consensus is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be. Um, but, you know, I think people who follow the team are more or less the most informed about it. So coming out to about 7-5, and five, that sounds right for this season. So I guess Segway, what we're saying is bet on that 5.5 over. Segwaying into our countdown. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. When we're talking about a consensus. <laughs> yep, yep. Was there consensus this year? No. No, there was not. Hey, John Evergreen did really well this year. John I Evergreen. Think. So this is – so I want to say something about John Evergreen. Okay. I so. don't think this is great for John Evergreen. What I like what? from John Evergreen is seeing outlandish stuff on either side of this. We don't see that this year. I think that's disappointing. The fans well, expect something from John Evergreen now, and it's not coming out. But see – true i I know what you're saying i I think it was more it wasn't necessarily that john evergreen was taking like an against the grain stand i think it was more just some some misconceptions and maybe forgetfulness maybe i i I would not denigrate john evergreen in such a way Um, okay okay. i i think all of his beliefs are truly and honestly held um however I would However. point out, if you look at the dichotomy between <laughs> myself and one Blair Angulo, we clearly, <laughs> Angula. we clearly had two entirely different impressions of this team. Look at where I am highest, and look at who is always the one who is then lowest. It is um, virtually so always I'm, me wait, and Blair. Wait, what you opposite. just did, you just gave John Evergreen 
a bunch of validity because you said he, you know, was just being himself and being an individual and going outrageous to the outliers. And now Blair does it, and you're throwing it out as something that's condemnable. Look, I'm not saying it's condemnable. I'm not saying that at all. Perhaps why does John Evergreen get? Perhaps why does he get off the book and Blair doesn't? I'm simply pointing out that we, Blair and I, very clearly had opposite impressions of perhaps how we were rating importance. Um, But it is it is truly interesting. See, we had that discussion too on the board about how we are ranking this. And like we've repeated a few times, and you know, this is really how we're ranking is even subject to interpretation, but it's, it's not who are the best players on the team. It, in my opinion, when you're, when you're trying to rank the most important players, it's really the ones who were the most invaluable, the ones that you just can't do without. Like, you know, Mike Alves, I had at number 11. I don't think Mike Alves is – he might not be one of the top 20 to 25 talented guys while like someone, let's say like Elijah Gates is. But there are guys behind Elijah Gates who could step in and perform his role effectively, and I don't see that with Mike Alves that much. So that makes Mike Alves more important to me. Sure. But a lot of people kind of didn't get that. And Dave, i got to tell you, tell me if you did this. After – you read the board and then you wrote you wrote your review of Alec Anderson, didn't you? Um, because you, you you almost kind of defended you like what you wrote about Alec Anderson was was like a, a response to what was said on the board. Oh yeah, you no, know, I, I definitely do echo because we'll get I, I just I hate seeing the same stupid criticism over and over again, so I'll try to <laughs> forestall it. Um, sometimes with the stuff I write, no, yeah, I'm cognizant of what they're saying. And so I have to, cause I've, I've just been writing like little kind of capsule blurbs about each guy. Uh, but this one I was like, well, no, let's actually justify the importance of this because this is, you know, it's true. Alec Anderson so, might not be that good, but he's super important because if he's not that good, they're in trouble. <laughs> so what do you make of your polar um, opinions with well, I'm going to count this um, the times that you and Blair were on opposite sides of the spectrum one one two three four five <laughs> that's really amazing uh, at least five times where you guys six. were six six yeah yeah no six times and that's by far the most of any two people on here I think what it was is I was basing it a little bit more on uh, potential production, and I also isolated on a couple of areas that I think are going to be super critical for this season, especially pass rush. Um, I so, did like too. Keyshawn Lucer South and Oso Digizuo were both top six for me because those are the two guys returning who probably have the best ability to rush the passer. Um, right. Digizuo from the interior, Lucer South from the edge. Um, I think Blair was more going, uh, the looser South thing that might've just been, you know, we got late information on him it, coming out of spring. It was not looking good and we'll see where it looks now, but um, it wouldn't be shocking if, you know, Blair was just like, let's not rank him. But I think he was going more with like upside. Like if, what did he have? Like if Josh Woods turns out to be a player, like a real player, like what they were expecting last year and he can just be a tackling machine. Well, 
then that changes the complexion. If Sean Ryan turns out to be like a star left tackle, that changes the complexion of the entire team. So I, think uh, he- I look at Blair's, I look at Blair's ranking as like uh, so many others that we saw, like when we're talking about PAC 12 preseason ranking and the media rank, it's just everyone playing it safe. I look at Blair's as really decidedly not playing it safe. Bold. Here. Bold picks. Bold. This, was, this was a bold stance he took. Unranked for Lucier South. That's that's pretty bold. And uh, Josh Woods, where is he? Number three. Yeah. And some others. There's a number of others, too, yeah. that where he was pretty, pretty, pretty bold. Yeah, I respect it. Like J.J. Molson unranked, does that mean – I mean, they're not even going to get in field goal range. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Mike Alves yep. unranked. Tyree Thompson unranked. Look, I'm respecting this. I'm respecting this all the way down. Yeah. Yeah. When we didn't necessarily respect what John. <laughs> I've, I'm, I've, I've, I have full love and devotion for John Evergreen. Yeah, I the love me. One. I love me some John Evergreen. The great John Evergreen. All right. We okay, got anything else? Dave. We're hitting an hour. We're at an hour and ten. Are we? Yeah, we sure are. God, just now time just with it you, flies. Dave. It just flies by with you, you. This is like the third time you've hit on me on this show. Luckily, we've got some cyber room between us. That's true. <laughs> That's true. You can feel the heat. Okay, Dave. Stop talking like this. Yeah. Well, what can you do? All right, well, everybody. We've got tomorrow, Pac-12 Media Day. Everyone should be very, very, very excited. And then the season, the fall camp starts next Wednesday, the 31st. Yeah, keep checking back for all of our previews. We're going to finish out the top 30 before then. We're going to have all of our, our fall camp previews before then. So lots of good content coming your way before that. And then we'll be back to the interview grind. And then it'll be the season before we know it. Woohoo! All right. Well, everybody, uh, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, UCLA site, 24-7 Sports Network, and we will talk to you again next time. Thank you, everyone.